there were those who talked about a life scripture or a life text and okay, I mean, God, all scriptures equally inspired and sometimes in our lives one scripture seems to speak louder to us than another, but in spite of all of that, I sort of chose as my life text Philippians 3, 12 through 14. And every so often in these last almost 50 years since I started seminary, these verses which I memorized have come to mind and helped me to see God and God's ways. The verses are more about God's leading in our lives and God's person. But the verses have helped me to see God at work in my life and to hear God's call to press on in good times and bad times, hard times, easy times. These verses have encouraged me as they've gone with me these many years. And what I'd like to happen tonight is you maybe get in your minds, because I know you haven't you know, memorize these words, but get deep in your minds, into your heart of hearts, your spiritual center, the twice-repeated phrase, I press on, and then press on. I'll explain it very shortly. So we're going to go through the verses, and I'll go kind of quickly over parts of them, but make application, especially in verses 13 and 14. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this, and if we were to go back to the preceding verses, there's four things the apostle wishes to be, the last of which is the only one we'll take note of in verse 11, the resurrection of the dead. That's the final goal, and that's where we'll end up in this sermon too. So verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this, including that final thing, the resurrection of the dead, heaven itself, or have already been made perfect. The Greek word perfect actually does not mean, first of all, sinless. It means complete, or whole. We don't have a good word I know of in English to capture the meaning of the Greek word perfect here, but we have a word that would do if it included the spiritual. And that word is holistic, H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C. People want holistic health, which usually means good physical stamina, Good mental acuity and good eating habits, healthy food, and things like that. Now, if we could add to that concept of a holistic health as first and most important, God, along with physical, mental, eating, and all the rest, you'd have what the word complete means here. Not that I've already obtained all this, including heaven, or have already been made perfect, already have holistic health about me. And by the way, then that word perfect also means sinless. Sinless is included with holistic health. 
So it's not wrong to say perfect means sinless. But perfect means something before. It means sinless and includes sinlessness. I mustn't get lost in that. I won't say more. And then the apostle says, verse 12b, but I press on. And this is the first use of these words that are going to come again in the next verse that we'll look at more carefully and apply. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And the short of what Christ Jesus took hold of in him and in you and me is our very life, our spiritual life, our eternal life through righteousness and sanctification and ultimately through heaven itself. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, the apostle said in chapter 1 here. So that's verse 12. And now we come to verse 13. Brothers, the Philippians were not his literal brothers, of course. You have to, by the way, see in these verses a certain loftiness of language, a certain poetic expression. And you have to listen carefully and feel. Now in this word, brothers, the church is not, first of all, an address or a building. The church is, first of all, the people of God who are in a relationship of adopted children to God and as such are in the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And then their relationship to Jesus is foster brother adopted in the family of God. And then when you look around, the people you see in your church, your fellow church members, those on the benches next to you, are your spiritual extended family. There's so much that goes wrong if we act like a bunch of consumerists and all we want out of church is satisfying our personal felt needs for religiosity. Oh, that's the idolatry of the U.S. marketplace applied to the church. We're brothers and sisters in the family of God. So we love each other like family members love each other. Try to help if the church isn't as perfect as we might want it to be. We ask what we can do for our church, not only what our church can do for us. Remember that about those people sitting next to you, okay? Brothers, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, now remember the poetic expression here. Paul does lots of things. For one thing, he's in jail, a stinking rotten jail here where he lives every day. But one thing I do means something like that which is of great importance in my life, that which is priority to me, that which comes first, that which I want you also to understand and to live. 
That's the poetic power of that phrase. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. Now let's apply that just a little bit. Some things to forget. One is past sins. We're all a bunch of sinners. So is the preacher who's preaching to you, all right? If you'd ask my wife who's not here, she sure could give you a list of them. Um, But the way to take care of sin is to go to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you're not too bad for God. He can forgive you. And if you need to, go to someone else and make it right with them. And when the sin is done, go on. Forget about it. Go on. If the guilt wants to torment you after the sin has been forgiven, then you've got to say something like, guilt be gone. Because the guilt should go with the forgiveness. So forget past sins after you've processed them. Also past mistakes. Like you, I know what mistakes are. I've made mistakes with my wife. God gave me a better wife than I could choose if I had a thousand girls like that king in the Old Testament who chose Esther. Praise God. I've made mistakes with our five children. I make mistakes with my grandchildren. I've made mistakes as a church pastor. Try to make sure council members know that I don't know it all and I'm not always right. With your past mistakes, learn from them. That's a positive thing. Learn from past mistakes. Don't make the mistake again and go on. Forget that which is behind. Also, past regrets. If any of you are living with the I should as colloquial for I should have, of course, or the I could as colloquial for I could have, you can't go back and do it different. Learn from the shoulds and coulds and then forget about them. And let me also mention the hurts. Sins, mistakes, regrets, and hurts. This world is full of people who are sinners, and sinners will hurt you, sometimes deeply so, sometimes inconsiderately so. Sometimes family members hurt other family members. The hurts are so many. Don't let hurts turn into anger that gets unresolved. And don't let anger turn into bitterness, which is anger held in on and on and on. Don't make mountains out of molehills. Get above hurt. Learn to live with a certain amount of hurt. It's going to happen. So forget those kind of things. That's what the apostle's getting at here. If we were talking context, Paul is in a jail, unjustly so. There are preachers around preaching out of envy, putting Paul down when he can't answer back. Paul faces in that jail disease every day. He could be hauled before the Roman authorities at any point, 
And they could look at him and the authority could go like this, which means you are going to die today. That's what he faced every morning when he woke up. And he didn't let those injustice hurts or any other kind of hurt stick with him, see? So, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. Let that phrase go for tonight. And then in verse 14, the key thought in these few verses we read, I press on. I can't think of wiser advice than we have from God himself through the Apostle Paul right here in these three words I press on. There have been many times in my ministry when I felt beaten down, defeated, weak, treated unjustly. And then these verses would come back to me. I press on. Another key verse, 1 Corinthians 15. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God was gracious to me. His Holy Spirit worked salvation. And I'm not a nothing, no matter what any church member might say about me behind my back. Or anyone else might say about me. Or what anyone else might do about me. By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not without effect. In the Apostle Paul's life that meant he continued his apostleship. And if I'd read you his uh, hardships. Five times beaten with the forty lashes lest one. Three times dumped in the drink, probably the Mediterranean Sea. Goes on once about those things for six or seven verses. But he's living, he's breathing, and he says, I press on. Now, even secular people recognize the need to press on. Maybe you've heard of the Aesop's fable of the tortoise and hare, turtle and rabbit. Rabbit could run fast. They had a race. Rabbit decided to stop and rest, fell asleep. Tortoise pressed on, plodded on, and the tortoise won that race. My brother Gore, the CPA, hired people. He made an interesting comment I never forgot once. He said, if I have an applicant who's an A student... I look awfully careful before hiring them because some A students have it too easy. And with the B students, I look for, first of all, not their grade point average, but whether they've got dependability and stick-to-itiveness. Those are the people I want to hire. They're going to show up at work on time. They're going to do their work. They're going to deal with some perplexing, difficult situations positively. And they're going to keep moving forward, pushing forward, and he was saying, press on to do the best that they can in their circumstances. That's who he wanted to hire. And that's what our text is getting at here. I press on. 
Another secular saying, quitters never win and winners never quit. That was Paul. Those are his God-inspired words here. Have you ever heard the saying about former President Calvin Coolidge? (laughs) Who said this, and I quote, hope it's accurate, I think it is. He wrote something called Press On. He said, nothing in the world can take the place of perseverance. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. (laughs) A theological word, no less, from a president. But he's getting at the same thing this text is getting at, folks, and that's why. What I want you to remember about the sermon, if you can just remember one key thought, it's I press on. Now, I learned a hymn. I didn't have opportunity to look if it was in your Trinity hymnal, but if it was, we'd sing it. There was a phrase in the 1800s by a philosophical movement called transcendentalism, which I don't want to be identified completely with, only with a couple of their emphases, but we won't go into that. It'll lead us off track. But they had sort of a slogan, these transcendentalists, and the slogan was, I thought, a good one. Press onward, look upward. That's getting at what our text is saying to us, folks. The master has come, the hymn says, and he calls us to follow the track of the footprints he leaves on our way. Far over the mountain and through the deep hollow, the path leads us on to the mansions of day. The master has called us, the children who fear him, who march neath Christ's banner, his own little band. We love him and seek him. We long to be near him and rest in the light of his beautiful land. Stanza two, the master has called us. The road may be dreary and dangers and sorrows are strewn on the track. But God's Holy Spirit shall comfort the weary. We follow the Savior and will not turn back. The master has called us through doubt and temptation. May compass our, though doubt and temptation may compass our journey, we cheerfully sing, press onward, look upward. The children of Zion must follow their king. That's the first two stanzas, and that song captures our text again. I press on. Press on. Another way to say it is continue, don't quit in the Christian life. Another way to say it is be faithful. One time at a particular hard point in ministry, my wife and I went to Yellowstone National Park. And there we saw Old Faithful Geyser. I think many of you are familiar with it. I need not explain. Steam goes up in the air regularly, consistently, every, 
what, 40-some, 50-some minutes, and then the geyser dies down. I was so captivated, I stayed through several of those episodes of the geyser sending up the steam. Sometimes it's like we're down and things don't happen. And then with that geyser, all of a sudden, an incredible thing happened. And that's the way it works. We don't quit. We press on. And all of a sudden, maybe if we're so down, we don't even see God in our lives. Or we're not even sure God is with us. Or we struggle to believe that all things work together for good. Sometimes we have to live by faith and not by sight. And then all of a sudden, things open up again. Things happen. And we've been pressing on all the time. And it becomes easy then to press on again when the light comes back. That's the Christian life. I press on. Now, we'll leave the phrase, we can't spend all night at it, but I am going to move on here with the text and then end appropriately with another story. I press on, then it says, for one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Toward what? Toward the goal. Okay. Do set goals if you want in your individual life. I'm sure that's a good thing. Goals for life. A lot of talk about that some years ago, both in and outside the church. Set goals if you want as a church. I've observed that these Purpose statements or goal statements or mission statements usually come down to the same thing. The church has a ministry with goals of exaltation or worshiping God. may have told you about the garbage truck driver in one of my early churches whose prayer before every worship service when it was his turn was, God, help us to give you the glory do your most holy name. said to him once, Garrett, Where'd you get that from? And why do you pray that same one every time? He said, I got it from Solomon. I think it was 96. And he said, worship is first of all about exalting God. And that's what we're to pray for when we walk in church. So that's what I pray for. I thought to myself, Garrett's a pretty wise man. You know, the church has as its purpose exaltation. So sad in this Me Too generation. People don't even have an hour or two a week to exalt and praise God. What self-centered selfishness. And these people are too busy for church worship. And so busy with television or whatever. They can't worship God. And so we live in a culture where I read this week that next week's Super Bowl game it's going to have over 100 million people, and it costs $2 billion a minute for advertisement. That's apparently where the hearts of a lot of people will be. How good it would be if those people had as much interest in exalting God as they have in exalting football players. Now, I don't mean to be down on football or anything else, but I mean to be up on God. 
The goal of a church is first of all to exalt God and then to evangelize. Go ye into all the world, preaching, teaching, baptizing, into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and education, and encouragement or ministry to each other. How often the Bible talks about one another, help one another. That's what the church's goals sort of are. But back to the text here again. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. I think of Paul's words in 2 Timothy. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which God will give to me. And not only to me, but to all who love is appearing. To win the prize. The background of that text is the Olympic Games. They'd worship their Greek false gods and then they'd run a marathon and the winners were given a wreath of flowers. <laughs> when you get to heaven, God has a lot more for you in store than a wreath of flowers or a pretty cap like they have when they run the Kentucky Derby. Win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then the apostle applies these words, sort of applies them again. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think a little differently than me, and God makes that clear to you, good. Only live up to who you are, a Christian. Now, what I'd like to do to sort of conclude, and I hope adequately summarize this scripture, is tell you a story about the U.S. Air Force Academy and the mountains west of the academy, the front range of the Rockies. Some of those areas just west of the academy are set aside for Air Force use only, but there's another place that is for public uh, walking. There's a place where you can begin at the trail's beginning, the trail's head, and there's a sign there. And the sign says, start early, keep pressing on, steady pace, for the journey is difficult and rigorous, and it takes all day to get to the peak and back. And some inexperienced trail hikers at the trailhead there look ahead and the peak looks to be very close. Some of you know that happens in mountains. You think the peak is close and it isn't. And so they start out and they don't press on steadily. They go slowly. They take side hikes, they sit, figuring they can make that peak easily. And when they reach that peak, then they see for the first time that there's another peak looking further in the distance, which is the real height of the mountain. And from what you can see clearly, as much as 75 miles away on a clear day, 
75 miles to the west, 75 miles to the south, 75 miles to the north, and 75 miles to the east. And then it dawns on them, two peaks. And the way you reach the second peak and the most important peak, the highest peak, the most awesomely beautiful peak, is you press on steadily through all the valleys, all the difficult rocky places, and when you press on steadily, beginning at dawn in the morning in the summer, you can reach it by noon and enjoy something incredibly beautiful. And then you can come back and be back by dark. This trail is for experienced hikers only. What the Apostle Paul is saying in our text is, I press on, you press on too. Press on, continue, don't quit. Keep on keeping on, no matter how you feel, no matter how difficult the going is, no matter how weak your faith might fall into, no matter what the out external opposition and enemies may be. Press on. And when you press on, you can set your goals, if you will, on the way. But the final goal, the final peak, is worth pressing on to because it's incredibly beautiful, above and beyond what you can imagine if you haven't been up to it. And that's the challenge of the Holy Spirit to you and me in this text, folks. Press on. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for putting in the Bible a text like this, which is at once spoken so loftily and written down in Scripture in that lofty language, so challenging, with such a call to us to press on, also so encouraging when the pressing on is difficult. May we, by your grace, continue in the way, going onward, then upward, toward that final goal, heavenward. Amen.